Anybody have a crazy week? Anybody want to raise your hand and say crazy week? All right. Crazy week. Friday morning we woke up, you know, normal day. Uh, one car out because of a car wreck a couple weeks ago. Another car out because of a radiator going bad right in the car. Um, when you have three teenage uh, college student drivers and you have a used car lot in your driveway, it's just inevitable that something's going to happen. And my wife, I, I come home from something early Friday morning. She goes, hey, by the way, there's no hot water. Like, well, why'd you use it all? No, there's no hot water, right? And uh, so we're, we're getting ready to go to a wedding in Charlotte. We have no hot water. We're walking across the street um, to our neighbor's house on Saturday morning, getting ready to go to a wedding in Charlotte. And, and uh, somebody lives in our neighborhood sees me coming back across the street carrying all my shampoo and my soap and my change of clothes. And I thought, that probably did not look real normal, right? Um, and so it's just been one of those weeks. Um, I, I, a lot of you are new to Rich Fork in the last couple of years, especially in the last 18 years. Um, how many of you remember Rich Fork before this building? Anybody? All right. Awesome. A lot of you. What you don't know, those of you who did not raise your hand, is, is right here there used to be a gravel, part of a gravel parking lot and part of a road that connected all the way around the building. And, and right about where the lobby is, there used to be a covered drive through <clears throat> And so on Sundays, I would get done with church as a student pastor doing the things that I need to do, and I would grab my little Nissan Sentra, and I would pull up underneath the covered area, and I would run inside and grab my stuff, all right, and grab all my stuff and, and run back out um, and, and head home. We lived about five minutes from here at that point, and so one Sunday, I did my normal routine. I pull up under the little covered area. I run inside. I come back outside. My car's gone. Now, there's a lot of funny people around here, all right? I'm thinking, who decided to move my car? Because I've moved other people's car, right? You leave the keys in it. It's just an open opportunity. And i uh, done that to some of our staff at times. And so I thought, somebody just moved my car. And so I looked around. I, I don't see my car. I go back in my office. This is pre-cell phone era. Imagine that, all right? If you are under the age of 18, all right? Pre-cell phone era. They did not really exist in number. And so I uh, went in my office and I picked up a landline. It's attached to the wall. And uh, I, I dialed our home number. I thought maybe Emily's home. I called, no answer. I thought, where's my car? And so I'm standing there and my window used to look out of the back of the property. And on the other side of this uh, little road was a huge drop off, huge drop off, 30 feet, little curb dropped off, grown up brush and little debris, no big trees. And so I, I look out and I'm, I'm trying to get in touch with my wife. And I thought, that looks like my car down there. It can't be my car. It can be when you leave a stick shift in neutral, right? On a slight backwards incline, my Nissan Sentra went backwards, hopped the curb, went backwards down the hill, and turned to the point that it had almost become going forward. Like, so it went down the hill, backed itself down the hill, parallel parked itself down at the bottom of the incline. And I'm thinking, how did this happen? It's what happens when nobody's driving a car. Now, thankfully, thankfully, nobody got hurt. Could have been a whole lot worse. The car could have rolled. car could have flipped. But it's just sitting down there. So I walk down there. You know, I'm trying to look around. I don't want anybody to see me. And so I wait a few minutes. At this point, what does it matter? And so I wait a few minutes, and I, and I just kind of gingerly walk down the hill. Car's still running. <laughs> Doors unlocked. I hop in. 
there's a little tiny old dirt road, and I kind of put it in reverse real nice and slow, and I just drive off and come around the cemetery and go home. <laughs> Nobody knew until now. <laughs> so I just confessed to, you know, overall three services, a couple hundred people, right? And, and so uh, if you were to take that car with no driver, and you were just to say, hey, let's put it on the top of a hill, let's see what happens. Tragedy at best, right? Same thing, you take a spare tire. If you've ever had to get a spare tire out of your trunk, you get it out and you begin to walk it over to your car and you know this, if you don't keep your hand on that little thing, it gets wobbly, right? And it starts to go its own direction and it starts just to go back and forth and you think, how, this little thing, a spare tire is in your trunk, all right? It's, it's an extra tire and it's really small, like for your bicycle. And, and you put it on and you, you walk it over there and as you're walking it over there, it just gets wobbly. And if you're not careful, it's going to go down the hill. It's going to break a picket fence. It's going to knock something over and you're going to think, how in the world? But if you put that thing on a car and you put a driver, <laughs> important, a driver in the car, that tire will go to places that it's destined to go. It will have direction. It will have purpose. It'll have someone leading that. I share those with you because for a long time, the church, not just Rich Fork, but the church, we suppose somebody new comes in, they, they give their lives to Christ, they go to camp or they go to a retreat and they, they have this spiritual high moment and we go, okay, they, they've trusted in Jesus. They've confessed their sins. They've entered a relationship with Jesus and far too long, you, we, you have made a commitment or someone you know has made a commitment and they're spiritually on cloud nine and they're moving and they're, and they're just saying, man, I want more. I hunger for more. And then we as a church and we as individuals say, well, here's a Bible, go figure it out. Here's maybe a group, if you can find your way, go figure it out. And then somebody comes up to us six months later and said, man, I, I, I was on this spiritual high, but I can't even see it anymore. I can't even imagine where I was because we haven't done our job in making disciples. Now, making disciples and leading someone to Jesus, leading someone to Jesus is the beginning part of that. Making disciples, as we have talked over the last few weeks, is this. A disciple is someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. So it's not just a camp moment. It's not just an awesome Sunday morning worship moment. It's a daily moment. It's a growing moment. It's an attitude in our lives. And what we're calling you to is this year is to examine where are you as a disciple? Are you, as a disciple, hopping in a spiritual car and, man, you're just going directionless? Or are you committing to say, hey, I, I am willing to grow, to learn, to mature. I need somebody to lead me. I need somebody to guide me. I need somebody to walk with me. And so we have begun this season looking at what are we, what are we asking when we say a disciple, what are some of the habits? What are some of the daily disciplines, the thoughts that we have as church leadership and saying to you, this is what we collectively want all of us to be doing so that as we make disciples as Jesus instructed us, that we understand that we're moving in the same place, the same path. So we looked at 
Two weeks ago, we looked at some habits. We introduced those habits of grace. The first one was this, give your life to Christ. In order for you to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to trust in Jesus. You've got to give your life to Jesus. And then today, we're going to look at what does it mean to have a real time? What does it mean to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at acting in obedience, committing to accountability, engaging your world, so that we know, hey, collectively, this is where we're moving. We want to make disciples, people who are learning to become, willing to learn to become more like Jesus. So today I want us to look at real time with God. In your worship guide this morning, if you grab one, there's some notes. You can fill those in. You can make some extra notes. If you're not that type of person, you can journal. Uh, You can write notes in the side of your Bible, however you choose to do that. But real time. How do we have real time with God? Real time with God occurs when we communicate with God. This is going to sound pretty elementary. It's going to sound pretty simple. If you've grown up in church, you're like, yeah, I got that, right? But I just want to make sure that we all have that this morning. Prayer, communication with God. It is evidenced by a person having ongoing conversation with God. Prayer is having an ongoing conversation with God. Rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all your circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing? Pray without ceasing means when you're tempted, you go to God with a temptation and you ask for help. When you experience something good, something beautiful, something magnificent, You immediately thank God for it. When you see evil around you, you see suffering around you, you ask God, what part do you want me to play in being and helping make this right? What part do you want me to play in serving and coming alongside that and and shifting that? When you meet someone who does not know Christ, you begin to pray for God to draw that person to himself That God would use you as a faithful witness. When you encounter trouble, you turn to God as your deliverer. In all these things, it's a constant heart and an attitude. John MacArthur says this, All life's thoughts, deeds, and circumstances. All life's thoughts, deeds, circumstances, failures become an opportunity to communicate with your Heavenly Father. Prayer. How do we have real relationship with God? One of the things that is beautiful about Jesus is that Jesus was not just someone who said, go and make disciples. He's telling this to his disciples. So he's saying, you repeat what I've already been doing for you. You turn around and do for future generations what I've been modeling for you. You've walked with me, you've talked with me, you've prayed with me, you've watched me pray. Listen to the examples that Jesus gave of prayer to his disciples. He taught them to pray. He healed people with his prayers. He denounced the, the, the corruption of the temple being used for other purposes. And he said, guys, this is a house of prayer. He prayed often. He play, prayed regularly with fervent cries, with tears. Sometimes he prayed all night long. The disciples fell asleep in the middle of those, right? They go to sleep. He's praying. They wake up. He's praying. They go to sleep. He's praying. He wakes them up. They're praying. It's a constant teaching that Jesus had in front of him. When Jesus faced crisis from the enemy, he prayed. 
We hear him praying for his disciples. We hear him praying for them on the night that he was betrayed. We hear him petition God in the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. And his disciples were watching. Jesus was teaching his disciples. He was modeling for them. He didn't just say, guys, here's six ways to pray. Here's six opportunities for prayer. Here's three ways for you to have a better prayer life. He said, no, just, I'm just doing it. It's what I do. It's who I am. A disciple devoted to prayer must communicate to God with honesty and transparency and do so often. Prayers in Scripture are prayers of worship, prayers of confession, prayers of admonition, saying, God, this is who you are. You're great. You're mighty. There are also prayers of confession. They're honest. Some of the prayers in Scripture are heart-wrenching prayers. Listen to David in the Psalms. He says, O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out night and day before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. He goes on, Psalm 142. I cry to you, O Lord, I say to you, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of living. Psalm 119, with my whole heart I cry. Answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. This is prayer. This is communication. This is David saying, Lord, with my whole heart, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I will call to you, save me. I will observe your testimonies. I rise before the dawn and cry out. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the dawn even comes and the night disappears. I will cry out to you. I recently heard, was reminded of a book that was written back in the 90s. And this gentleman said, how do we discover how to pray? We discover how to pray by praying. Well, pastor, it's more complicated than that. That's how Jesus taught. He prayed by praying. He discipled by praying. Our confessions lead to open communication. Our worship leads to opening that relationship. As we've been looking each week uh, at what does it mean to be a disciple, a disciple is someone willing to learn to become more like Jesus Man, this morning I was in my office and I was just wrestling through this whole message this morning that we were supposed to preach last week. And you go, like, easy week for the preacher. He doesn't have to prepare again. Doesn't quite work like that, right? And so this morning I was in my office and I was just wrestling through this. And I thought, if I am leading people to become disciples of Jesus and my primary function is to lead my family, what if my family learned about prayer from me? What if those closest to you learned about the validity of prayer from you, from me. A disciple devoted to prayer must communicate to God with boldness. This is modeled for us 
Pray often, pray big, pray bold. On uh, Wednesday night, we just we examined for just a little while, we examined the story of Daniel in chapter 6, Daniel and the lion's den. You may have heard of that story once or twice in a, in a storybook at some point. Um, Daniel and the lion's den. Well, what got him into the lion's den was what? A constant prayer life. What got him out of the lion's den was a constant prayer life. What led to nations hearing about who God is was Daniel's prayer life. He saved in the lion's den. The king says, let me write to every nation and tell them about your God. Listen to these prayers from Scripture. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep praying, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Would you say that one more time? boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, this is the message I've got. This is the calling I have, but I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to pray for boldness. This is Paul. I mean, this is like super Christian, right? I need to pray for boldness. At times we pray about our inward growth. At times we pray prayers of confession. At times we pray with heaviness because of the request and the pain around us. At times we pray and we worship the Lord. At times we glorify the Lord. At times we ask God to transform us. The question again, a painful question is this. What would change in the world around me if my prayers were answered? If my lunchtime prayers before the meal were answered, how would the world around me change? Would it change? Would my relationship change? Would my walk with Jesus change? Would my role at work change? What would change around me if the prayers that I'm currently offering were answered? Disciples are learning to become more like Jesus. I was listening this morning on the way in. And one of the things that I think was a reminder to me this week is that we've, we don't pray big prayers because we've lowered the expectation of how great God is. You say, Pastor, that's not true. We've lowered the expectation of how powerful God is and that He still moves in our universe, that He still moves in this broken world, that He still moves in the lives of people around you. And so this morning I was, I was driving in, I was listening, it was dark, and, and I was listening to this song, and here's, here's the chorus of it. It says, so I throw all my cares before before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought. So I will stop all negotiations with the God of all creation because you're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought you were. Maybe our prayer lives, maybe my prayer life, maybe yours will rise when we say, God, you're bigger than I. I thought. At the end of the service today, they're going to introduce you to a song that's going to declare the largeness, but also the care of God. As we place ourselves in an attitude of prayer, we realize the magnitude of God, of His creation. The disciples prayed because Jesus prayed. The book of Acts is filled with prayers because they learned it from Jesus May future generations learn prayer, not because we give them a guideline or a guidebook, but because they learn it from us, they see it from us, it's modeled from us. 
Because we want to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Real time with God also occurs when we study and meditate on God's word. Studying. Evidenced by a person with a hunger for applying God's word. Now this is huge for us this morning, all right? A lot of times when we say studying God's word, we go, oh, that's an information moment. What I want you to see when we talk about studying, when we look at, first Tim, at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that says all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, complete, equipped for every good work. That's application, transformation, not information. Yes, we can gain lots of information, but we are called to allow God's word to transform us. God's word should govern our lives, should guide our decisions. Again, Psalm 119 says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. I will find delight. Read that with me. For I will find delight in your commands. Time out. Just read that one more time. Just pause, back up, quit what you're doing, all right, just right here. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Parents, wouldn't you love for your children to say that to you? Mom, I, I delight in your rules. I delight in the things that you're telling me. I love them. They're awesome. But we don't think like that because we think of rules only as restrictions. The psalmist is saying, listen, I find delight in your commands, which I love because he's experienced the pain of not following God's commands. He's experienced the disconnect and the pain and the tragedy and the consequences. He said, I delight. I've tried it. I've explored it. I delight in your words. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. These guardrails that we've talked about numerous times, I love, he says, I love your guardrails. I love your commands. I love your teaching. Why? Because they they keep me. They keep this car moving in the right direction. They keep this spare tire moving where it's supposed to go. Whatever illustration you want to use, the psalmist wrote, he loves the commands of God because he knows the heart of God. So important. Because some of you have come to God's word before and you've gone, it's a good book, it's history, it's, I'm going to study it, I'm going to tear apart. Instead of saying, I'm going to study and tear this apart, we come to God's word and we say, God, how is your word going to study and tear apart my life? What's it going to do? And I'm going to trust it. Why? Because I trust your heart. God, I trust that you desire for me to glorify you. I trust that you desire for me. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and I've confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. A disciple evaluates their lives and their decisions through God's word, not apart from God's word, not at the end But they say, I'm going to go into this decision. I'm going to go into this moment evaluating this decision based on God's word. A disciple asks, how does the Bible speak to me in this situation, in this moment? A few questions that are in your worship guide this morning 
to ask as we study God's Word. Is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there an application to make? As we grow in spending time with God's Word, we begin to grasp the beauty that this is all about transformation, not simply about information. Now, last Sunday, you heard Nicolette uh, and Tabitha shared what happened and continues to happen in their lives as they allow God's Word to to permeate their lives and their decisions and their actions to transform. Next Sunday, you're going to hear from uh, one of our church members, Steve Slate, one of, just one of my just absolute, I just love this guy. I've known him since I came here to Rich Fork. Um, and just for you to hear um, through one of the tools that we're talking about um, several weeks of this month of Every Man a Warrior and Cultivating Holy Beauty, he stepped into that a couple years ago, and God has just taught him how to allow God's Word to transform him. And we sat at lunch this week, and man, I just sat there, listen, I, didn't, I, I mean, I'm done with my food, and he's just telling me all the things that God is teaching him. You can wait till next week, gentlemen, to look and to talk. Uh, see, out in the lobby, we got these two booths, and women, we got flowers and all this pretty stuff over here. Dudes, we could not fit in a four-wheeler and shotguns over to the guy's side, Okay. <laughs> But what is over there are some men who love Jesus, whose lives have been transformed as they've learned to apply God's word. And they desperately, they desperately want to provide you the tools to train you, to teach you, so that you can do the same in your home, so you can do the same in honest relationships. Men, we've got to be honest. You need it. Real time with God occurs when we study and apply God's word. Last thing I want to see here for just a few moments, real time with God occurs when we worship with every aspect of our lives. Worship evidenced by a person who is loving and glorifying God in all areas of their lives. Notice how I did not define worship for us this morning. I did not say worship is when we have three songs, a sermon, an offering. I didn't say worship is in, we go to the Greensboro Coliseum and there's 20,000 people packed in and we hear from some groups at night, worship. It's a part of worship. But listen to where worship really takes place in Matthew from Jesus speaking to a question. He answers, he says, teacher, from the question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Everything you are, you worship, you love. This is the great and first commandment. The heart, soul, and mind, your entire being. So worship, worship is how we behave on the sporting field. Or as a parent at a sporting field. Worship is how we respond to the most difficult circumstances, the most difficult people in your workplace. Worship is how we respond to them. Worship is how we respond in the middle of a relationship argument, difficulty. Worship is happening right then in those moments. Yes, worship happens when we gather collectively, but we're called to worship when we're alone. We're called to worship when we're caring for others. We're called to worship when we're examining God's word. We're called to worship when we're walking out of this place. Donald Whitney says this, but can we expect the flames of our worship of God to burn brightly in public on the Lord's Day, Sunday, when we barely flicker for him in secret on other days? 
Here's what I know. I know these folks have practiced this week and they prepared for this week. And I know in the other service, they practiced and they prepared. They're not responsible for your worship. You hear me? They're not responsible to pull you out of the week and say, hey guys, let's do it. Their volunteer role is to step up in here and say, we just want to worship and we'd love for you to join us because you've been worshiping during the week and we just want to launch you into next week. We just want to be a part of that. But when this happens at times, we say, man, this week has drug me down. I, I haven't been with the Lord. I haven't studied. I haven't prayed. I haven't been in relationships. I'm so distant from the Lord. They can just pull me out of the rut that I'm in. And sometimes that ha- happens. Sometimes that's what we need. But know this, since the object of our worship is the glorious and majestic God of heaven, When worship, listen to this, this is so powerful. When worship becomes empty, the problem lies with the subject, us, not the object, God. He is never not worthy of our worship. He's never not ready for us to give him praise. He's never not ready to connect with you in private or in public in a time of glorifying him, in a time of lifting him. He's never not ready. The problem's never with him, but with us. It could be sinful. It could be distance. It could be lack of intimacy with Him. But real time with God that we want to teach, that we want to be a part of at this place. If you're new, it's a great time of the year to be here, to kind of get this download in your brain what our expectations and desires for you is we want you to have a real time with God that's full of prayer, that's full of worship, that's full of studying God's Word. Now, real quick, let me just tell you about Christmas for me. Um, so Christmas wife got me this new ratchet set. Um, it's a set of tools, okay? And a uh, little, little tiny ratchet set. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was what I asked for. And um, so got this ratchet set. And then I, I, later that day on Christmas or the day after, I started cleaning out my tools because now it became evident that I needed to organize my tools, right? You get new tools, you got to figure out what you have. I realized when I started organizing, I already had all these tools. I already had a ratchet set. Just like that one. So I went to Lowe's, I took back the ratchet set, and I bought a new toolbox. Because I had them in four or five different little tiny toolboxes, so I brought them all together, and I, I sat there in the kitchen one day, not in a building, it was too cold, sat in the kitchen one day, and I just started throwing stuff away. Put some, I have one of those? Oh, there's six tape measures in here. I've been accusing my kids for years that they stole them. They're all here in one of these baskets and one of these buckets, and I started putting them all in there. I found things that I have no idea what they do. All right, I got tools that I don't even know what the tools are for. Take my man card if you want, but I don't know what they're for. And I got all these tools and I'm putting them around. I'm going, oh, that's there. Oh, wow, that's great. That's wonderful. I can put this here. And I put them back on top of where I keep my tools. And yesterday, water heater goes out. I'm figuring out what to do. And I'm going, oh, this, I got a tool. I know where it is. I've learned how to use it. Let's do it. We want to equip every one of you that God brings to this place with the tools necessary to grow as a disciple. And some of us, we've got the pieces, right? Some of us have grown in the church and we've got little bits and pieces and nuggets and we've learned some things and we've grown in some things, but all of us can grow. Some of us say, man, I got one tool and I've given my life to Jesus and that's the only thing I got in my box. Awesome. 
And you say, Pastor, I, I've got God's Word. I've got a copy of the Bible, and it's in my toolbox, and I have zero understanding of how to use it. It's there. I've got 16 versions of it. I've got 4,000 of them on Google, right? But I want to know how to take these tools out. I want to know how to apply them. I want to know how to rearrange and go, this is everything that I need. We want to grow to become more like Jesus. A disciple is someone learning to become more like Jesus. Is that you today?